Galatians chapter five, verses thirteen to fifteen. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command: love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the word of God. So after having taken a little break um, over Easter break,、um, we're going back to the series in Galatians. So if you have your Bibles,、um, do open it to Galatians chapter five, and we'll navigate through some of these、uh, passages together. But as we come to the text, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, and we thank you for these words that you have already spoken. And now we pray that you will make these written words living words that speak to our hearts, and we pray that you would increase our love for you, that we may live for you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.、Uh, I am known to have a sweet tooth. Maybe it's because I grew up in Korea, and the only thing that I ate, you know, after a dinner was、um, maybe fruit, some fruit, but no, nothing like. Chocolate chip cookies, or you know, caramelized、uh, like pies with caramelized brown sugar on top.、Um, when I ate、uh, these these cookies or these sweets,、uh, I had to eat them sparingly. Not、uh, partly because I didn't have access to them, I didn't, I I couldn't bake them, I didn't buy them,、uh, but also because my parents lived with me and my parents dictated what I ate each day. Then I went off to college. And I was set free and set loose, and the dining hall really didn't help because in the dining hall,、uh, every meal was a buffet, and not only did the students have unlimited access to the main courses and side dishes, they also had unlimited access to a dessert bar, and I couldn't resist. And I remember one day、uh, when I came into the dining hall. Picked up my dishes, went straight to the dessert bar, and basically took everything that I wanted—cookies,、uh, cakes, pies, brownies—and I just ate those things as my my meal for the day. And of course, I suffered for it.、Um, th- th- there, there is a good and bad way of being free. <laughs> And this was an example of misusing the freedom that I had.、Um, and in a way, the whole the book of Galatians, letter to the Galatians, is about the misuse of freedom. People have the freedom、uh, that God has given in Christ Jesus,、um, but they start to misuse it.、Uh, take a look at verse one of our chapter. As a, a review of what's been coming、um, in the previous weeks, but he says there, it is for freedom that Christ has set us、uh, set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Some people, even though they had been set free by Jesus Christ from the fulfillment of the law, the righteousness that comes by obedience to the law, they were set free because Jesus had fulfilled them and gave this、uh, gift、uh, to the people. 
when they had this freedom, they went right back to slavery. They went right back to fulfilling the law by themselves. And Paul says, this is no way of exercising your freedom. In fact, this is what he called another gospel, chapter 116. And in chapter 117, he says, this is no gospel at all. If you believe in grace of Jesus Christ and you add works to that grace, you forfeit your freedom. You're no longer free. It's a grave misuse of our freedom in the sense that you are basically giving up your freedom. And in today's text, uh, Paul warns us of another misuse of freedom. Verse 13, uh, unlike the legalists who added to the grace of Jesus Christ, the freedom that we have, um, these people thought, now we're freed, anything goes, and I can do whatever I want to do, including the sinful things that I want to do. That's what he's talking about in verse 13 there, doesn't he? You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The word the flesh there that's uh, um, translated as flesh refers to our fallen and sinful nature. He's saying that our freedom does not extend to doing everything and anything that I want to do, the sinful things that I want to do. And part of the reason is obvious. It's in uh, verse 15. He says, if we did whatever we wanted, we would then bite and devour each other, and you would be destroyed by each other. Verse 15. You know, if I wanted to, I don't have to care about the environment. I might damage the environment. If I wanted to, I could just steal from people and lie, you know, as long as I don't get caught. And I would then start destroying our relationship. We would just start devouring each other, and we would destroy each other. So he's saying that don't use your freedom in this way because it destroys your freedom. I mean, even the libertarians, the people who value most individual freedom, start putting limits to their freedom right away, like don't hurt others, don't um, let, uh, um, uh, put the cost of your burden upon other people and, and things like that. But indulging our sinful nature, doing whatever we want to do, there's a deeper question. It does damage us, but the deeper question is, is that really being free? Is that really experiencing freedom? And a person who envisioned that kind of freedom, doing whatever I want to do, might be uh, the atheist philosopher Friedrich uh, Nietzsche. He declared God dead. And when he declared God dead, what he also meant, partly, was that there is no right and wrong. There is no good and evil. I can do whatever I want to do. He famously wrote a book called Beyond Good and Evil. You know, part of that hypothesis, uh, part of the, the, the book is to say, actually, what really matters, the only thing ma- that matters is my will. It's my desire, doing whatever I want to do. The strong get to define what they want to do. And really, the purpose of life is the, uh, to, to do whatever you want to do and define good in that way, satiating our own desires. And that sounds like what Paul's prohibiting, isn't it? Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And one of the characters in this famous book um, called, I left the book there, but um, called Unbearable Lightness of Being lives by, in, in that book, the characters live, uh, some, some characters live by Nietzsche's uh, philosophy. So this uh, lady named Sabina, she has no political affiliations. She attaches herself to no country, no people, uh, no man, and no philosophy. She just comes and goes, and she does whatever she wants to do at that moment. 
She lives by no rules. And in the middle of the book, this is what the author writes of her. And Sabina, what had come over her? Nothing. She had left a man because she felt like leaving him. Had he persecuted, persecuted her? Had he tried to take revenge on her? No. Her drama was a drama of not, have, not of heaviness, but of lightness. What fell to her lot was not the burden, but the unbearable lightness of being. Sabina felt emptiness all around her. You see, when she wasn't tied down to anything, when she had no purpose and no meaning, and she just went from this to that, attaching herself to nothing, she was left in the end with nothing. And she woke up one day, felt this emptiness all around her, and that lightness, that, 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 that not attaching yourself to anything becomes unbearable. And that's the title of the book, Unbearable Lightness of Being. In fact, this kind of lightness, not being attached to anything, actually nobody really lives like this. This is mostly theoretical because we find that we can't and we don't live in this way without any meaning, without any purpose, without anything. We create meaning. We create purpose. Biblically speaking, we create idols for ourselves, don't we? We create meanings in our life and we say, well, I'm going to live for this. So some people live for money. Some people live for power. Some people live for reputation. Some people live for pleasure. We create these meanings and we find ourselves attached to these things. We find meaning. No, we really create meanings for around these things because we find emptiness unbearable. But as you know, these are also counterfeit gods. These are not real gods. These promise many things that they cannot deliver. They promise fulfillment and happiness. But once you get it, you find that they're fleeting. People who have power and who should feel most secure constantly worry. With, uh, those with money are the ones who also know most acutely that money does not buy happiness. Reputation and respect are fleeting, and those who have it worry about um, people who are coming, sort of what, what people uh, underneath and also what people above think of them. Living for these idols is not freedom. In the end, living for these idols are th- living for ourselves. And it's slavery. It's slavery attaching ourselves to these things. This past week, I had a chance to talk to an Englishman who uh, once served in the Royal Marines. He said in his younger days, he did everything that he wanted to do. He, he did whatever he wanted. He uh, went out drinking, chased girls, traveled all around uh, the world. And one of these uh, travels, uh, he was brought to Hong Kong. He told me that one day in Hong Kong, after this night of whatever, and he woke up, he said, in the windowless room in Chunking Mansion. And he said that he woke up and he felt just empty and sad. He lived that life, doing whatever he wanted to do. But at the end, he said, there was nothing. This is not what he wanted to do, what he wanted. And he didn't know what to do, but he had a little bit of knowledge of Jesus um, from his childhood. And he said then he gave his life that day over to Jesus. And when he did, he said he was afraid that his life might might be boring. But then he said that it, it has been nothing but that. He says his life was filled with meaning and filled with purpose. You see, brothers, that's what the freedom is. We are created for something. And we're created to experience that freedom in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, do not then go back 
abuse your freedom by going back to indulging your selfish desires and indulging the idols that you have created for yourselves. That's not how we're meant to live. That's not where freedom lies. That isn't true freedom. You see, true freedom isn't just removing obstacles from our desires, fulfillment of our desires. That's not what freedom is. Freedom isn't just taking away um, things that get in the way of our selfish and sinful desires. Freedom is found in being what we're meant to be, doing what we're created created to do. A bird feels most free when it's soaring with the wind underneath its wings. A fish feels most free as it glides through water. Out of it, it's out of the design. They flop and die. They flop and die. We aren't free by doing whatever our sinful flesh and sinful desires are asking us to do. We aren't free when we are serving our idols. We're free when we live according to God-given design and God-given purpose for our lives. True freedom isn't doing True freedom is doing what we're created to do, being the kinds of people that we are created to be. And that's what Paul is asking us to do. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. The scripture tells us that the gospel frees us from our sinful desires, not to our sinful desires, but from our sinful desires to serve others humbly in love. Gospel freedom is about humbly serving others in love, for that is what we are created to do. And the gospel enables us to do this. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the goal. This is the, uh, this force that drives you towards. This is the freedom that you get to experience more and more in your life. The gospel liberates us from ourselves, our self-obsession, and our sinful desires. It does this, for example, by freeing us from this burden of working towards our salvation. Many of us, we come to church, we tithe, we do nice things, we try to live for God in our workplaces, because in the end, we want to make the cut for heaven. We want to say to God, God, I have been good. You should let me in. And if we're really doing that for ourselves, we're not really doing it for God. And we're not really loving others for others' sake, are we? We're really doing it for ourselves. Um, If I do nice things to Mary and propose to Mary because I want a cut of Mary's inheritance. And as I was rehearsing this last night uh, with Mary, Mary tells me to make it very clear to everybody that this is a completely hypothetical situation. <laughs> Mary does not have a, a big inheritance that I uh, was doing nice things for. But if I had done, I wouldn't be doing it for Mary. I would, doing it for, I would be doing it for myself. I would be doing it, doing it to get that inheritance. You see, this is what the gospel does. Gospel frees us from that sort of obligation by freely giving us what Christ deserves to us. We don't have to do anything. We can't add anything to what Christ has done. It's freely done for us. So now we can freely love God, that we can freely serve others. Gospel liberates us from that sort of self-righteousness, earning our righteousness into heaven. 
our way into heaven. The gospel also frees us from our idolatrous desires, concerns for money, reputation, love, security, power, by dethroning these idols from our hearts, by saying to our hearts, by speaking to our hearts that God in Jesus Christ is the only true God, that he himself is the source of all wealth, that he, his opinion alone is what matters, that we already have found true love and true security in him. Freedom, when we have dethroned our idols like this and have placed Jesus into our hearts, then our life changes. We can truly serve and love each other, can we? For example, if we are freed from the idolatry of popularity or fame, we can then serve others without thinking about how our actions might uh, be perceived by other people. Well, if I do this for other people, what will my colleagues think of me? What will my friends think of me? We're freed from the, uh, those idolatry, and we can then serve people without worrying about these things. If we're freed from the counterfeit God of, of, of money, our obsession with money, we can then serve the world by turning down bribery. We can just work uh, justly. We can uh, try to create a more just society without this, this worry about money. Freed from the counterfeit God of romantic love. We're freed from chasing this person or that person, going there and being concerned about that, and just serve and love the people around us, all those who are are around us. The gospel frees us in order to serve, to, to serve others in love. And in the end, the gospel frees us from our self obsession. And isn't that what we want? To think less of ourselves? Isn't that, what we, what, isn't that why we love going on, on hikes? When you go on a hike and, uh, to Sai Kung and, and you see uh, the beautiful Saiwan Beach or whatever, you see it and you get lost. You, 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 you're freed from thinking about myself, ourselves, and then you, you enjoy uh, something that's greater than ourselves. This is why we like playing sports, because when we're playing sports, we're not thinking about like, how does my hair look? What other people, what's other people thinking, thinking of me? We're getting lost in the game. We enjoy the moment, uh, something that's outside of ourselves. We forget ourselves. And the gospel does that. Gospel moves us to forget ourselves and draws us into something that's greater than ourselves, Jesus Christ. And the gospel replaces our petty loves into, with a greater love, for Jesus Christ. And that's how the gospel frees us. This is what uh, Scottish theologian Thomas Chalmers discovered and preached in a sermon titled Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He preaches there, because never does a bad habit or flaw disappear by a mere process of natural extinction. At least it is very seldom this is ever done through reasoning or effort by the force of mental determination. But what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. And one taste may be, may, uh, may be made to give, give way to another and to lose its power entirely on the reigning affection in the mind. What cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. My love for cookies might not be destroyed by reasoning or just iron will, but it might be displaced. It might be dispossessed by my love for pies, <laughs> something that's greater, something that's better. And 
this is why, this is how the gospel replaces uh, our idols with something that's greater. This is why the gospel produces in us great love for God. And this is why it was important to, for us to spend the time in this Holy Week to think about what God has done for us. Because this is the key to the whole thing. We need to spend time thinking about what God has done. And when we see through the power of the Holy Spirit what God has done, and our love for God increases in us, then we will love other things less. Our love for God will displace and dispossess our love for our idols, the petty things that we love, even our selfish, sinful desires for ourselves. The gospel makes us small by giving us this great love for God. And it enables us to love and serve others humbly in love, which is true freedom, which is what we're meant to do and designed to do. But as the gospel does this work in us, Paul says then, strangely, that it fulfills the law, verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in the keeping of this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this is really interesting because Paul, again and again, throughout the whole letter to the Galatians, has said that we are freed from the law, didn't Didn't he? We heard him back in chapter 3, verse 12. The law is not based on faith. He put this contrast between law and faith, that only by faith we can receive the blessings of Christ, not through the obedience to the law. He told us that law was to lead us to Christ by telling us how sinful we are, but that and, and that we're in custody of the law until faith in Jesus Christ came. Verse uh, chapter three twenty four. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. And in chapter 4, he gave us this whole analogy between Hagar and, and Sarah, between uh, slavery to the law and freedom found in faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, now that the faith has come, dispense with the law. Dispense with Hagar. So the question is, are we freed from, freed from the law? The question is, do we have to love our neighbors? Do we have to fulfill this law? The answer is both yes and no. It is no in the sense that our relationship with God is no longer determined by how well we fulfill these laws. It is no longer determined by whether, how well we love our neighbors. God's acceptance of us is hinged on our faith and our trust in the work of Jesus Christ. That alone determines our relationship with God. He has freed us from the obligations to the law by fulfilling that for us and giving us that righteousness. We are justified freely by works of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to love our neighbors in order to be accepted by God. But in another sense... Yes, we do have to fulfill the law. We do have to fulfill the heart of the law because the law is our guide. It does reveal to us how to use our freedom. It does reveal to us how to live as people that God has meant for us to be. Remember, our capacity is completely clouded by sin and the world. We don't know. We're not, we're not very good at being free. 
So the Ten Commandments, think about the second half of the Ten Commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not covet, uh, do not steal. These are ways for us to love our neighbors. And it directs us to do this. In fact, this is why the Holy Spirit was sent to us. So that he might set us apart and to teach us to become like Jesus. He might... God sent the Holy Spirit, and he creates this this desire to love him, love God, and love our neighbors. We don't have to, but we will want to if you have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do not want to, if you do not want to be like Jesus, if you still want to sin constantly and do uh, do not want to obey Christ, then may I say, you are probably not a Christian. You are probably not a regenerated person because Christianity isn't just doing uh, just doing it ourselves just uh, committing our life to Jesus Christianity when you put your faith in Jesus Christ God sends the Holy Spirit it's a description of being a Christian is being born again God sent the Holy Spirit and he directs our will and desire to please him to obey him to love him so on the one sense, justification, though we are not um, except our, our, we're, our justification does not depend on our works of the law, but on Christ's work and uh, Christ's work. But our sanctification consists in fulfilling the law because the Holy Spirit comes and leads us to obey. And those whom God justified, he says, he will also sanctify Going back to the analogy of my college days, I was free to eat whatever I wanted for, uh, for, for a meal. But the Spirit speaks to my conscience and says, yes, I am, you are free to eat just desserts. But the Spirit says to me, no, no, but what you really should do is, is uh, to eat a balanced meal that includes broccoli. And what the Holy Spirit does is increase my love for broccoli so that I might want to eat broccoli. And as I um, abide in him, I become the kind of mature adult who has self-control and can eat a balanced meal. You know, the whole meal thing is silly, but the work of the Holy Spirit is serious. This is what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit reminds us what Christ has done for us and increases our love for Christ and produces in us this great love for him and to please him. And it produces in us great hatred for our sins. So as we sin, when we sin, we don't want to do it anymore. It will draw us out of ourselves, out of our selfish desires and sinful desires, and lead us to the freedom of forgetting these things, forgetting ourselves to truly live for others, to obey God and serve others. Of course, this is a lifetime process. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. The world's freedom and the gospel freedom in all of this is radically different. It fulfills God's, uh, the the freedom in a Christian sense fulfills God's design for each one of us, and that's where we feel most free as we serve, as we please God in serving others in love. 
And uh, all of this, I think, is, has been slightly a, a bit of a commentary on what John Stott had already written. So I'll just read John Stott's words here. Um, that that um, he expresses it so clearly. He says, true love places constraints on the lover, for love is essentially self-giving. And this brings us to a startling Christian paradox. True freedom is freedom to be my true self, as God made me and meant me to be. And God made me for loving. But loving is giving, self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to myself, to my own self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. True freedom, then, is the exact opposite of what many people think it is. It is not freedom from all responsibility to God and others in order to live for myself. That is bondage to my own self-centeredness. Instead, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and for others. And as we end, let me just leave uh, you with this question. Who do you think was more free? Frank Sinatra, who lived a lavish lifestyle, who crooned, I did it my way. He lived his life his way. Or Mother Teresa, who knew the love of God, who came to know the love of God and freely took on a life of service of others in love. Sisters and brothers, do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Use your freedom to serve others humbly in love. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you have sent Jesus, your son, to die for us. And we thank you in the message of the cross, and our faith in him is found a true freedom, is found a new, a new life, life that is reborn. But Lord, we know that, that hinge, all of that hinges upon us seeing you clearly in the Spirit's work of pointing us to Christ and our, great, our affection, our love for you increasing in our hearts. And so we pray that you would do that for us now, that you would fill our minds, fill our hearts with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, with his great love for us, that we might love you more, that we might want to obey you, that we might experience the true freedom you have designed us, designed for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.